there are a few uh, anomalies out there. And in sport, you know, we're already seeing how well that plays out in the whole trans debacle. And sport is one thing. Life is another. I have long said that the saviors of the Second Amendment are going to be women. And why not? Women are better students than we are when we go take a class. Women are better shots than we are naturally. And uh, they, 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 they handle the trigger better. They breathe better. They listen. I go to a class, and even at the stage I'm at now, the first thing I think is that I'm Sonny Crockett, and I'm going to shoot something, and then go jump in my test rosa and take off. But it is coming to a head now because where they're trying to impose gun control, a lot of women are beginning to stand up and say that this is robbing them of their right to self-defense. Probably the most tragic case of this would be Carol Bowne. Carol Bowne is a, uh, she was a hairdresser. She was a hairdresser in New Jersey. And her, she had protection orders against her ex-boyfriend. Her boyfriend, her, her ex-boyfriend had threatened to kill her many times. And she applied for the, just the, the permission to buy a gun. And they went beyond their time. They said, we need more time. We need more time over and over again. And one day, Carol Bowne was knifed to death in her own driveway by her ex-boyfriend. She knew it was coming. She went to the government who would, you know, most of the time they say, well, don't worry, we're here to protect you. No. They're not here to protect you. Nobody's coming. That's that's never more true than with a female. The House Judiciary Subcommittee on Crime and Federal Government Surveillance hosted the hearing titled Second Amendment Rights Empower Women's Rights. And the chairman there was Andy Biggs. He said, female firearm ownership continues to grow in the United States. Women are turning to themselves to be their own first responders. In fact, the largest segment of people as a demographic buying guns today are black women. Shirley Wattrell, the state director of the Florida Women for Gun Rights Organization. She's a survivor of domestic violence. She had a different view on gun ownership until the man she loved kidnapped her and tortured her, tortured her for 15 hours. She said, when I tried to escape, he would beat me. I was no match for his size and strength. I was forced to stay seated or kneeling on the floor of the master bedroom. After hours went by, I found no way out. I thought my salvation came when he brought out a gun and set it on the bed. Hours prior to this, no one heard my screams or came to my rescue. I saw the gun as my way to freedom. I could either use it to defend, to defend myself or get a shot off that the neighbors would hear. Lack of knowledge of the fundamentals of a firearm were a disadvantage for me. My only goal was to get to the gun and press the trigger. I lunged for it and pressed the trigger only to hear myself screaming. The gun did not go off. I had lost my freedom in the blink of an eye, and I, now I lost my will to fight to regain it. I was defeated. I told him I give up and will do whatever he wants. He must have believed he had won and had control over me, so he let me go. 
After surviving the beating, the biting, the whiplash from being thrown around by my hair, I took actions I believed would keep me safe. The restraining order I got did not stop him from contacting me and stalking me. I moved into a gated community, which not, did not stop him from gaining access and finding out where I lived. These things did nothing more than give me a false sense of security, just like the gun-free zones and gun control laws. They are an illusion of safety. She also added that soft-on-crime policies have allowed repeated offenders to walk free. See, here's the thing. And this is one thing I really don't understand. There are some people that would put their entire life in the hands of the police. Who you have to call. And when you do that, you are... You are literally saying, well, you know... The, the average police, police response time is 11.11 .11 minutes. Do you know what a murderous individual intent on teaching you a lesson can do to you in 11.11 .11 minutes, ladies? A lot. So you're calling somebody who has a gun when in fact, and listen, you don't have to be a, you know, a, a lot of you would look at this and say, this is so radical. But it, it is it is not radical. I mean, you do a lot of other things just like this. I mean, most of you have insurance. You have uh, first aid kits, fire extinguishers, spare tires. You have all kinds of uh, you have all kinds of things at your disposal. And uh, you take you 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 adopt some of these without thinking twice. But then when it comes to your own personal protection, well, I just can't, you know, a gun. I mean, I they're just so just so I mean, has it come to this? Yes, it has. Yes, it has. We now exist in a time when uh the cops have been vilified and demonized. There's not as many of them as there used to be. So, Ms. Wattrell said, if you want to help domestic violence victims, encourage them to prepare to defend themselves. Stop telling them they're not capable of handling a firearm and scaring them with some skewed statistic that only demoralizes them. Fund programs that offer training and arm the women. I've got a friend up in Detroit, a guy named Rick Ector. Rick, every year, Rick gets out there and exposes women for free. And I mean, he's, it's, I think the most he's ever done at one time is about 3,000 in, in the day. But he will expose them to a gun and knock out the myths for them. And since he's a trainer and he knows people that own gun shops, then he'll make them, get them a deal if they need to buy a gun. And then he'll give them a, a break on the price to train them, and then he'll train them. But he exposes them to the gun. He does away with all of that, all of those misgivings that are out there. And I say this to you, ladies. There's not a gun that I own that I shoot that you can't shoot including the big old 10 millimeter, the grizzly gun. If you pick it up and if you learn the basic fundamentals, which are very basic, if you can operate a car, which is doing a bunch of different things at all at one time, you're, you know, you drive around in this uh, minivan, minivan missile, you can handle that. You can definitely handle a gun. 
And, you know, if you want to go out and learn MMA or Aikido or something like that, some sort of hand-to-hand combat uh, method instead of taking up a gun, that's fine. I have done all of those. And in the end, I simply tell you that the time that you can actually use something like that is a very small Polaroid snapshot in time. So think about that. Right now, you're in the Christmas season. You are obligated to your family to be there for them. And they for you. And the very least you could do is see to your own self-defense because you're not always going to be with somebody that can help you with that. Very sad fact. I know it. I know it, it in in so many ways it it is a bad thing to but it's the reality of the time we live in today. And the fact that you could do it here where it's less a less likelihood of uh, having the wrong DA and soft on crime and bail reform. That's not happening here. But you can do it here. You should do it here. How was Donald Trump convinced to go along with a lockdown? Let's look at that. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. You know, some of the things that uh, make make Trump or made Trump as good and effective as he is, they are they're very much a double edged knife. Uh, they they cut both ways. And one of them is his ego. GS Plumbing Talk Line is one eight hundred nine zero five zero nine eight nine. The common sense retirement planning text line is seven one three zero seven. And uh, for President Trump, the COVID lockdowns have been uh, always been a touchy subject. Now, you got to remember that Donald Trump listened to a lot of guys, a lot of different people. And sometimes he did not know, just based on his actions, how to look at things in, a, in the proper perspective and to take it and, you know, read the subtext. So, like so many in America, he went with what his advisors told him, and they told him lockdowns. And that's how 15 days to slow the spread became years to slow the spread. And, you know, that's still, people still reference this today. And for some people, that wrecked everything good that he did earlier on the economy. If, and given the fact that he gained 11 million votes, I would have to say that it didn't really affect the election at all. Uh, I would say that the, you know, the, the steel was what affected the election. So uh, a guy named Jeff Tucker, president of the Brownstone Institute, he decided to do a deep dive into this and try to figure out how he got so involved in this destructive idea. 
And when I say this is where his ego comes into play, uh, if he would just come out and own it, I think, you know, that would dispel a few things. But he has not done that. He's not apologized. He's not confronted. And he only tries to avoid it as a subject right now. And he's been lucky in one sense because his left opponents, they love the lockdowns. Mr. Tucker did a little digging. He followed the timelines and he lays out the claims and scenarios from the various memoirs of the players. From the death of one of Trump's friends to claims from a flattering advisor that lockdowns would enhance his respect among his staff. But he he found that it was probably the doing of the National Security Council, which took control of the matter based on the belief that it was dealing with a Chicom produced bioweapon and then an even more hostile Homeland Security Department, who, which hated Trump with a passion and pushed for its perma-lockdowns to crush the economy. And remember that anonymous book about hating Trump? It was written by one of its disloyal denizens. They persuaded Trump that the bioweapon scenario was true, necessitating an all-encompassing and extended lockdown, which trashed the economy and lit the fire for the inflation that would follow as the government checks went out. Industrial-scale fraud followed. John Hopkins University looked at this, and uh, two European, with uh, a guy named Steve Hank and two European colleagues, they found lockdowns worked only to a little bit, a negligible extent, as they said, but did untold damage. Now, at this point, Mr. Tucker points out that Trump caught on fairly quickly as to the nonsense, and his medical advisor, Dr. Scott Atlas, explained it all out to him. But Dr. Anthony Fauci was playing a double game in the midst of this as sort of a sideline. And by this time, Trump had lost control of the government and his calls to end lockdowns went ignored. And we still deal with this daily. Still, I mean, who, who by, you know, all of your, what I've, you know, I used to think of Walmart as the discount grocery store, not anymore. And that's because there's certain things you get, cannot get past, like the cost of diesel fuel. And the cost of uh, all of the petrochemicals that are going into making all the packaging and all the stuff that you buy. All of that continues to go up, up, up. So, and the saddest thing is that the public, which understood he was acting on the best information out there that he had, would forgive him for the error. And if he did, it would assure the public as election time gets going that it wouldn't happen a second time. And his Democrat opponent, we know, would do the exact same thing, even as he would inevitably try to blame Republicans. So it's doubtful this will get sorted out because Trump doesn't want to go there. I understand that, and at the same time, I don't understand it. I find that when something happens, and I mean, invariably, all of us, we're going to mess something up at some point or another, and when we do, uh, we don't need to sit out there and try to obfuscate or anything, just, you know, confront it. 
And that's 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 really the only thing we can do to actually resolve it. Now, at this particular point, looking at, uh, and I always say this when I say this, but uh, the polls that I don't believe, if I look at the polling data, it's it's very obvious that Trump is so far ahead that he's going to be the nominee. I don't know what's going to happen to him legally. He's ha- he's having a bunch of lawfare volley fired at him. I don't know how he continues to parry this on all the fronts and all the places that he's going. Uh, Congress, if they had done their work, if the Republicans had done their work, which they didn't, and they didn't on purpose, but if they'd done their work, then he wouldn't be facing this right now. But they never, they never protected the government, the, the, the president. They never protected him. I saw Trey Gowdy on some show that where some guy gets out there and he's talking about how this, that, and the other. And Trey says something, and then the guy looks at him and says, uh, "You know, you guys never did anything to protect him, though, did you?" And that's true. They never did anything to protect him. While the Democrats who were in the minority at the time in the first part of his term. While they were in there, uh, the Democrats constantly were coming at him, impeach, impeach. They wanted to impeach him before he got inaugurated. I mean, they had such novel ideas. And the Republicans were sitting there going, you know, this guy hasn't paid his dues. He hasn't done what he's supposed to do to get where he's at. He's never served in the House. He's never served in the Senate. He's never been a governor. He hasn't done none of that stuff. And he gets to be the president. Well, I'm not going to, I'm not playing with this guy. So, the the only thing about politicians, though, I don't think that they're always very, very, very concerned with their legacy. I'm sure Trump is, especially. But the the thing about a politician is they're only as good as the last thing they manage to pull off. Politics is a it is a performance based profession, and most of them don't perform at all. And uh, they, uh, you know, the fact that they don't ever move the ball at all speaks loads. Trey Gowdy was a big object lesson for me. I like Trey Gowdy. He seems like a fine fellow. I've interviewed him many times. I've face-to-face with him many times. Uh, Dude never did nothing when he was in Congress. He never wrote a bill that went through and became a law. I don't even know if he ever wrote a bill. But he's on TV a lot. So, anyway. Coming up next, we're going to speak with investigative reporter Lee Williams from the Second Amendment Foundation and see what he has going on in that wonderful world of the Second Amendment advocacy, which is uh, the one that protects all of us, whether some of us like to admit it or not. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. All right, today, today I'm on a mission because I, I, I want to plan out the next week's meals and I'm going to do that by going to my local Ingalls markets. 
And I'm going to do that because they have an unlimited, seemingly to me, variety of various things, whether it's something I want to have already frozen that I can take home and heat up later or something from the meat department or something, you know, some some stew or something because I like I'm a sort of a canned food. Some, some Sometimes I like that stuff. And uh, this this week I'm going to be comfortable because it's the week to be comfortable. It's the week before Christmas. And at Ingalls Markets, first of all, the grocery department is laid out in such a way that if you go in one, you basically have gone in all of them, which is really quite nice. And uh, as someone who has observed them as long as I have, when I would deliver to them, nobody ever waited around for a customer service issue. They were always right on top of it, as fast as they could get on top of it. They have their own dairy. They bottled their own milk, which you can only imagine when, when you got 200-plus stores out there. And you, you have your own private label milk. That's a lot of that's a lot of an operation right there, which they maintain. They they do their own milk bottling of the Laura Lynn brand. Most have already shipped it off to the big players. They have not. All of these things combined with the fact that they dare to believe that you should expect more out of them as your local store. And they give back to the community. Tomorrow, when I am uh, at Upstate Warrior Solutions, my my buddy Melissa is going to be there, and she's going to present a check to Upstate Warrior Solutions from the Icon program, and that's going to be nothing but goodness. So they give back to the community, they give back to wherever they are, and this is why my my grocery store of choice is Ingalls Markets. Writers and reporters. There's some reporters that are copy and paste, and then there's my pal here who uh, everything he does is based upon deep investigative diving. Joining me from the Second Amendment Foundation is Lee Williams. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Bill. How are you? I'm good. I was asking if we were going to talk about Indiana, but apparently there's something I don't know about. So let's talk about what I don't know about. Well, this is from Brother Dave, um, who, who brought this up. It, there's emergency in California, okay? So the DOJ there has announced emergency regulations uh, for concealed carry. So there's because there's an emergency. What these emergency regulations do, however, is reduce the number of instructors in the state who are available to teach the required courses for concealed carry applicants. I'm not kidding. And the number one type of instructor who is no longer an instructor, who is not accepted under these new emergency regulations, are anybody certified by the National Rifle Association. Can you believe it? Well, so can I go to California right now and just put up, my, put up a shingle saying, Bill Frady, tactical instruction, certified yeah, by nobody. And, and you can teach students, and that would be great. I'm sure they'd learn a lot from you. However, you cannot they, you cannot sign off on the paperwork they need <laughs> to submit to the state to further their uh, application for a concealed carry permit. Oh, so that has to be done by an NRA certified instructor. No, NRA certified instructors are not accepted under the well, new emergency okay, regulations. Okay, so so who's accepted? 
Oh, you know, um, Bureau of Security Investigative Services, Department of Consumer Affairs, State of California, firearms training instructor, of which I'm sure there are, what, millions out there? Or a Commission on Peace Officer Standards and Training, firearms instructor or range master, or anybody who received authorization from a state of California accredited school to teach a firearms training course. So I think if you added all three of those up and compared them to the number of certified NRA instructors in the golden state, you're probably looking at 95% to 5%. So what they've done, and this is evil genius type crap here, Bill. I mean, this is evil genius that I hope gets stomped there before this a new idea matriculates east. They've, they've shut off the instructor pool. So now, you know, getting a, a, a permit in California, depending on which county you live in, because there are some sheriffs who uh, are, are pretty much shall issue, but you still have to take care of all the paperwork. And right. part of that paperwork there is going to the right courses, passing the courses that are, are taught by an instructor certified to teach in California. They just shut off 95% of those, those being anybody certified from N- by NRA. Now, you know, I, I'm back in the day, I was certified as a law enforcement instructor by NRA. And I got to tell you, I learned a lot in that class as a week-long, week-long class. It was difficult. Not only did you have to be a good shot, you had to be safe and you had to be a good trainer. Um, there's nothing wrong with NRA instruction. People, you know, like to poke holes. And I'll say this, their dogma is a little, a little old. You know, they're, they're not up on the latest techniques because, you know, there's some inertia in that huge training system. I wish NRA would update a lot of its training. But there's for a basic pistol instruction, there's nothing wrong with it at all. But this, this knocks them right out of the park. Even the Sacramento Bee, which is not the most um, not the most conservative of newspapers, said this is delay. This will delay the new application process, and I, I just I, I was flabbergasted when I learned about this. I mean, even the local media is calling them out out there. Well, I mean, here lately, everything they've done, Benitez has been shooting down, though. Yeah, but that's that's by design now. So what we're going to have to do is I'm sure some pro guns organizations are looking at this and are contemplating a lawsuit. That's fine. That's, that's what they hope. That's what the bad guys hope because it's law there. will this will take our time and it'll take our money and it'll take, you know, and meanwhile, nobody's getting certified. Right. That's part of the plan. Right. Um, how many gun owners? Do we know how many gun owners? I, I saw a number one time about California that there was eight million gun owners in California. Do we know what it I looks like that, now? Yeah, I have no idea, but I think it's probably considerably higher than that, given all the crime that they've had out there lately. So, knowing that there's going to be no uh, none of the, like gun owners of California, and uh, I, I'm sure that when Allen gets around to it, he's going to be slapping at him a little bit. I would hope. I would hope. Um, I know California Rifle and Pistol Association is pissed beyond words. They, they issued a statement online. Um, i got to read because it's brilliant. And I quote, these new proposed emergency regulations st- 
strictly limit which instructors can provide CCW training in a system that already has a heavy load of too many students and not enough classes. This move seems to this move seems to move to limit and slow the processing of CCWs in the state, which is problematic given that CCW applications have increased significantly since Bruin. So what California is doing is they're slowing it way down. Went from 60 miles an hour down to about three. Well, you know, California, that's the place you want to be, right? Yeah, but unfortunately, like a lot of the, the anti-gun moves that start in California, they'll matriculate east. And it seems now they're going after instructors, specifically those trained by NRA. They're going after our ammo. They're going after our firearms. They're going after our dealers. Well, now, um, in order for this to work, though, wouldn't there have to be a law in place in each one of these states? You have to go to a certified instructor to get your – you have to be trained before you can go take your permit class when they have to have that in right. place first? Right. The, my, my favorite part of this is that they issued this proposed emergency regulations on December 8th, and they allowed a grand total wow. of – Five days for public reaction. Why is it an emergency? Five emer- days. What, what, what's the emergency? Um, crime, I guess. I don't know. I don't, oh. you oh. know, crime, man. Emergency. Oh. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, all right. So all of these all of these crimes are being perpetrated by people who go through the system to get a concealed carry permit. Yeah, I got it. Exactly. I got it. Sure thing. Exactly. I'm, I'm writing it down right now. Writing it down in my book of stupidity. Find Lee's work at armedamericannews.com, at thegunwriter.substack.com, and at saf.org, where he is the lone investigative reporter. Thank you for taking the time to join me this morning, sir. Anytime, brother. Take care. Yes, sir. California. If we're not stupid enough, we can be more stupid. Let us show you. That's California. Right now, right now, we need to look at Europe and understand what it means about unlimited Muslim immigration. We need to be doing that right now. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. Islam is by nature an ideology centered around conquest. GS Plumbing Talk Line is one 800 The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. Uh, within 100 years of Muhammad's death, they had conquered large swaths of the known world. And the Christians, you know, they were going around persuading people to switch over. Uh, Islam, they were conquering them brut- brutally. In Europe, which started with a trickle of Islamic immigration after World War II, that turned into a flood in 2015. We're seeing what happens when devout Muslims have the wind at their back. Now, a guy named Peter Hammond wrote a book, Slavery, Terrorism, and Islam, The Historical Roots and Contemporary Threat. But while it was controversial because, you know, Islamophobia stuff, um, this is all based on the history and by events in the 18 years since its, its original publication. 
And this is what we get, a summation of this. As long as the Muslim population remains around or under 2% in any given country, they will, for the most part, be regarded as a peace-loving minority and not as a threat to other citizens. At 2 to 5%, they begin to proselytize from other ethnic minorities and disaffected groups, often with major recruiting from the jails and among street gangs. From 5% on, they exercise an inordinate influence on proportion to their percentage of the population. For example, they will push for the introduction of halal, cleaned by Islamic standards food, thereby securing food preparation jobs for Muslims. They will increase pressure on supermarket chains to feature halal on their shelves, along with threats for failure to comply. At this point, they will work to get the ruling government to allow them to rule themselves within their ghettos under Sharia, the Islamic law. And the ultimate goal of Islamists is to establish Sharia law over the entire world. When they approach 10% of the population, they tend to increase lawlessness as a means of complaint or complaint about their conditions. In Paris, we're already seeing car burnings. Any non-Muslim action offends Islam and results in uprisings and threats, such as in Amsterdam with the opposition to Muhammad cartoons and films about Islam. After reaching 20%, nations can expect hair-trigger rioting, jihad, militia formations, sporadic killings, and the burnings of Christian churches and Jewish synagogues. At 40%, nations experience widespread massacres, chronic terror attacks, and ongoing militia warfare. From 60%, nations experience unfettered persecution of non-believers of all other religions, sporadic ethnic cleansing, use of Sharia law as a weapon, and jizya, the tax placed on uh, infidels. At 80%, expect daily intimidation and violent jihad, some state-run ethnic cleansing, and even some genocide, as these nations drive out the infidels and move toward 100% Muslim. 100% will usher in the peace of Dar es Salaam, the Islamic house of peace. Here there's supposed to be peace because everybody's a Muslim. Uh, the madrasas are the only schools and the Quran is the only word. Now we don't know the numbers for the Muslim population in Europe. But in England, for example, Muslims are 6.5% of the population. In places like Yorkshire and Lancashire, they can represent as much as 30% of the uh, population. In London, they were 15% of the population. In France, they can't ask people about their faith, so best guesses are that Muslims generally are around 5% of the population. That stretches up to 10% in major urban areas. The Muslims tend to like to stay in the urban areas. And then you can expect such things as like this cultural enricher. It's showing me a picture of this guy urinating on pork in a grocery store shelf in the Netherlands. Tearing down crosses at a church. Climbing a church and tearing down the cross in front of it. Just because, you know. Then there's about, then you see this one. There are around 500 mosques in London. Why, they're always praying in the streets. <laughs> here's a picture. You, you can't see it, of course. But here's a picture in London of a wall-to-wall terrorist coming. Well, not terrorists. Muslims coming down the, coming down the street. All looking like Antifa. This is why they have walls in Egypt. 
They have, they have the wall that we want here in Egypt to keep the Gazans, uh, keep the Gazans from, uh, coming over to Egypt. Same thing in uh, Jordan, I think. They don't want them. What do they know that we don't know? Most immigrants, when they leave a hell hole, they, they can't wait to get to the new country. Not the committed Muslim. This is a new pasture for conquest. And that not shy about making that known. When we get back, we're going to talk to Mark Walters from Armed American Radio. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD.